this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So there's one of them here today. Okay. Um, I've been waiting for weeks to try and welcome some people into membership, but I can never get them all in the same place at the same time. So, Kat, would you just like to stand up for a second? It's so good when people come to join the church family, and we're so pleased to have Kat with us. She's made a, an impact straight away. She's throwing herself into Frog Club leadership straight away, which is wonderful. She obviously hasn't read the small print, um, and that's fantastic she's with us. And round of applause for Kat, please. Thank you, Kat. We'll catch up with the other two at some other stage. Um, I've had a really good week this week. Um, I'm, we've now just had given birth our seventh grandchild. And I know what you're thinking. How can you possibly be old enough to have seven grandchildren? I realise that. I can read it in your face. But it's the seventh grandchild this week. Uh, Florence Annabelle Batten, or she's probably going to be known as Fab. Now, the thing is, while she was being born, we had custody of her brother who's two and a half years old so he came to stay with us for a couple of nights now you go through the usual routine is what do they eat where's the changing stuff what time do they get up and all the rest of it don't you but what their parents admitted to tell us and i understand the reason why now is that he likes singing first thing in the morning so we heard this noise we left the door open so being responsible grandparents so that we can hear when the little child wakes up at eight o'clock in the morning etc left the door open about quarter past six we hear this if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Now, that's fine. It's a great song. I love the song. It's really good and encouraging, isn't it? But once you've heard it about 20 times, and if you're happy and you know it, nod your head and stamp your feet and all the rest of it. So we were regaled for the first half an hour or so of this, and then eventually it broke down our defences and we had to go and get him up. But it was great, and I'm really pleased this week to have the seventh grandchild born. So, welcome, and this week we're continuing to preach our way through to Corinthians. So if you've been with us any length of time, you'll know that we started the journey. One Corinthians, we're going through two Corinthians now. And it's, Corinthians is a little bit, if you remember that advert for Alison's Bread, it says, and now it's taken out. And it's a bit like that in Corinthians because what we've tried to do as a leadership team is ensure that we haven't ducked any of the controversial issues that you're going to find in 1 and 2 Corinthians. And there's a lot of controversial stuff in there to preach from the front. So we haven't done that. We just ploughed through it and we have had conversations with people. Some of you have come up to us and said, oh, can you explain that a bit more? And that's absolutely great. That's what we're here to do. So we hope we've served you well in that, really, when we've hit some things that actually are a little bit edgy in church life. So we come to this passage in 2 Corinthians 8, and Paul is talking about giving. So here's another controversial one for the church. He's preparing the church in Corinth, who are about to take up a love offering or a gift for the church in Jerusalem, who were at that time in some need. I did already talk to them when he came to visit them. In 1 Corinthians, we find Paul visiting the church. And, uh, and then he sent Titus on ahead of him to help prepare for that offering. But there's a lead up to this. And we need to go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. And I'm just going to read that out. And it's entitled, The Collection for the Lord's People in the NIV version. So 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4. It says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. 
saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So from that passage in 1 Corinthians, there's a couple of principles here that we need to just be aware of. It talks about giving is to be planned. It says on the first day of every week. Therefore, this suggests that there should be some sort of regularity in our giving. And I don't think Paul for one minute is adverse to us praying or giving for a specific cause. But if we only give when our hearts are being tugged, then we're not giving with the regularity the Bible calls for, whereby we recognize the grace, goodness, and lordship of God, which says that all we have is ultimately from God anyway. So when we are tithing, we are recognizing that everything comes from God, and he alone is the great Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We see this principle of tithing in the Old Testament and the New Testament, both before and after the law. And Jesus reaffirmed the practice of tithing in Matthew 23. And Paul talks about giving in, uh, in Corinthians. And you simply have to say that if under the law people gave a minimum of 10%, then can I ask how much more should grace ask of you and I in this matter? Paul says it has to be planned. But if it's the last thing we think about, then can I suggest that it will never happen at all? Point two we can draw from this. Each one of you is to put something aside. It's a very personal thing, in other words. And it's every single person doing what they can. And it's a proportional thing. You notice in keeping with your income. So it's based on what God has given you. So tithing should be both planned and personal. With that earlier background, we come to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we find here Paul is writing to them again, and I have to suggest that it was probably not any easier for him to write to them than it is for me to preach to you today. It's not a particular popular subject in church life. We don't talk about it often, but when we do, things go wrong. And even this week, I'm sure you all heard about the BBC publishing the rates of pay for some of their top presenters, etc., and the outflowing of that is going to go on for absolute weeks. So when we talk about money, when we openly talk about it, things start to go a bit awry. And why is that? It's been very misunderstood in the church, both from prosperity teaching and from various scandals with some key people and ministries. And people are quite rightly cautious about talking about money in church life. But to recap on Paul's journey with the church up until this point... You remember, he's been at odds with the church. They've had false teachers come in. They've turned the church against Paul. And now here's Paul writing about what has been termed the severe letter, in which he's now talking to them about money matters. I think the misconception is that preachers love to talk about money. But here in Jubilee, we probably only preach on this subject once or twice a year, normally on a Vision Sunday early in January, when we're laying out what we as a church believe in. You see, it's a difficult subject, but in my 40-plus years as a Christian, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, as the psalmist says. These principles are true, valuable, and are a key to God's blessing in your life. This I know, and I'm utterly convinced by that fact. So we will unashamedly talk about preaching and giving in Jubilee Church. So I think the application of these verses will encourage those who are regular in their giving, 
will challenge those who haven't stepped out yet in faith in their giving and will possibly make angry those who are stingy when it comes to giving. So the example Paul uses here is fascinating as he's going to talk about giving and, a, uh, and about a place and group of people who you wouldn't have expected could give at all, the Macedonians. And they were based in churches in Berea, Thessalonica and Philippi. And Paul uses these churches as examples of the grace of giving. So let's just read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, which I'll come back to in a minute, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty has welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to the will of God and also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he has early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be some equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal here is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one that gathered little did not have too little. So I just want to pick out five principles that I can see there, and there may be many more that you come up with, but there's five that sort of come to me out of this passage. The first one here is their grace, sorry, their giving was motivated by God. It's the grace of giving. When all is said and done, the only reason that we are able to give to God is from the abundance in our own lives and from the overflow we've experienced from God. Both chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians are about giving money, but Paul never uses the word money, but the word grace, because when it comes to our giving, it is a matter of grace. Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, grace is expressed in our giving back to God. Freely we have received and freely we should give. How are we able to support those in need? The downtrodden, the lonely, the orphans and the widows. The work we're doing in Cambodia and through Smile, it's because you and I freely give. If you hadn't given, we wouldn't have been able to support some of those dear folk here today who have and are suffering hardship in our midst. I've been involved in countless pastoral opportunities where we've helped somebody out because in the situation they're in, there just doesn't seem to be any other way than giving some financial support. 
And it's your giving that's enabled non-Christians on Alpha courses to hear the gospel. That is and will continue to change their lives. It's grace upon grace. The second principle, their giving was not limited by difficult circumstances. Ever said, I'd love to give, but actually I can't at the moment. When I've moved house or when I've got the job that I want or when I've sold that or got that, there's lots of I would love to. Prevarication is a massive enemy of a Christian. See, the region that we're talking about here had been devastated for some over 200 years by one war and military campaign after another, starting with Julius Caesar and the Roman Empire, and different Roman emperors had battled in and for that area. In addition here, there were gold and silver mines which the Romans seized and then taxed the processing of the gold in a way that impoverished the people of God. And some scholars also refer to a major earthquake in that region at this time. So they're in a place where you wouldn't expect them to give or participate. And in verse 5, Paul seems to suggest that he's unsure as to their ability to now give anything. And they did not do as we expected, he says. They were at rock bottom, but God's grace was in their hearts and no excuse was going to keep them from believing that God was going to bless them for giving. The third principle here, their giving was joyful. Overflowing joy, it talks about in verse 2. Surrounded by affliction and poverty, we find this insuppressible joy welling up in the church. This giving is not out of pressure, compulsion or fear, but out of joy. Chapter 9, verse 7 states that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because actually, he's a cheerful giver. You see, a cheerful giver understands some things about God. He understands that God has given us everything in the first place. He understands that God has saved us. He understands that this life is not all that there is. And Michael Jury preached on that a few weeks ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he talked about our heavenly inheritance. And they also understand that we will never give anything to God that he won't multiply back to us. It's called the law of the harvest. And Paul talks about this in the next chapter. You reap in accordance with what you sow. But here's the difference. You always reap more than you sow. A cheerful giver understands these principles. The fourth principle, their giving was generous. Verse 2 says, they welled up with generosity. This was the inception of their giving. What prompted this was a wealth not of money, but of generosity. What started as a heart matter, later Paul states in verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Do you know what stops a lot of people giving? I believe it's a lack of contentment. Well, I don't have what they have. And it's very often we think of people in terms of, terms of people we know. Well, if I had what they have, I'd give. And I felt God wanted to impress that upon us this morning. We read this later when Paul writes the letter to the Philippian church. He says here, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's been shipwrecked countless times, been flogged, beaten, undermined, spat upon. And yet, he says, I've learned the secret of being content. And I think for, for us here today, there may be somebody thinking, well, I don't feel particularly content with my life, about my finances, about my walk with God's. I believe the Holy Spirit would just want to impart something this morning to people here. 
I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. And Paul is saying this is not based on what you don't have, but on what you do have, because we give based on what we have. And in their situation in verse 3, we find they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Initially, that makes no sense at all. How can you give more than you have? To give beyond their means, entirely on their own. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I wonder, do we earnestly plead with God to be able to give to the church? This was, what was Paul's reaction to this? He knew their background and the hardships, the wars and the battles in the church. Yet the Corinthians were saying either these principles are true or they're not. Either God blesses a person when they give or he doesn't. They're saying, Paul, are you going to rob us of this blessing? You see, they understand that when you give, you plant seed. And nobody expects to get just that seed back. You plant seed and you get more harvest back. Chapter 9, verse 6, you sow generously and you reap generously. That is the testimony of scripture. You reap what you sow. If you sow bitterness and anger, you reap the same but more. If you sow generously, you sow love, friendship, kindness and money, then you reap more than you sow. It's true. This is the whole point Paul is making in this chapter. This, as we've said, is not just a New Testament principle. In Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 from the message, it says this, Honour God with everything that you own. Give him the first and the best, and then your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. Give God the first part, because if you keep that part, there is never enough. By giving this first part, you immediately put yourself in a place where your barns will overflow. Malachi 3, verse 10, it says, Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury, so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. In other words, the place where you worship is the place where you should tithe. Oh yeah, but you say, this is a big enough church really and I'm going to support something or someone over there. Well, that's great, but bring the tithe into the temple or the church first of all. Test me in this, says God. It's the only place in scripture where God says, test me. It is impossible to outgive God. I think it's harder for some people to get hold of themselves in terms of money than virtually any other spiritual discipline. And some of us are holding on to what we have. And I would ask, how much longer are we going to act in that way? You see, God can do so much more with 90% than we can with 100%. I can testify to this in my own life and in the life of this church when I was a trustee, we always tithed our money. And we've always been generous when it comes to tying, tithing. And I believe, and I just want to prophesy this, actually, when we come to look at a building for this church at one stage, I believe that God is going to pour back into our laps the money we've given over many years. And it won't be a problem to buy, to buy a building. I honestly believe that from our generosity as a church to outside of this building. So we need to step out. We need to trust God and see what he will do. He will bless your life. It's the record of scripture. And the last principle here, their giving was proof of their love for God. You would expect Paul to hit us right between the eyes with this one, wouldn't you? Some people hearing this might have been offended. But wasn't that Paul's intention? 
to marry up giving with love for God. That was his intention. But here, in essence, is what Paul is saying, that where your treasure is, so there your heart is also. And where your heart is, the converse is also true. So there is your treasure. We invest in what we care about, whatever is our priority in life. Paul is saying that their giving was proof of their love. What's interesting, he not only says it once in this passage, but he says it twice. And then Paul backs it up with perhaps what is the most powerful illustration he could ever use. In verse 7, it says this, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Do you and I excel in the above? Do we excel in faith? Do we excel in speech? Do we excel in knowledge? Do we excel in love? And do we excel in the grace of giving? Paul goes on to say in verse 8, I'm not commanding you, and you'll never find anybody in Jubilee Church chasing you after you've joined the membership course and signed all the documentation at the back that just tells us a bit about you. You'll never find anybody from the church knocking on your door saying, we haven't seen you put any money in the collection. That never happens. It's all about grace. And Paul is saying here, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul says, I can't force you or command you to give, but that Paul wants to test, but that God wants to test the sincerity of your love in this matter. You see, we must get to a place where we can say, God, I want you to have full control over every element of my life. You see, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. It's impossible. And here's Paul's illustration of that. He goes to the most powerful outworking of love that you could possibly want in relation to giving. He goes to Jesus. And in verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He loved us, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So powerful. So powerful. This is real love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. God could say all day long that he loves us, but the proof of that love is that he sent his only son to die in our place. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor to the nth degree, so that you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. He emptied himself for us, and he took on board our sin. The fact of the matter is that whether we want to hear it or not, what we do with our money does say a lot about our heart for God. And that catches us at this place because some may be thinking, you know I love God, and what you're saying, John, is provocative but true. And others will be confronted as to where you are at in your faith because your faith is not fully formed because you're not giving. And maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning through Scripture and is saying, this is where you need to grow. Where your faith needs to be formed and you need to surrender your finances to the Lordship of Christ as a declaration of your love for him. I'm simply suggesting that this is what every single believer has to consider at some stage. I know it's not easy, this topic, and I know, husbands and wives, you may have struggled over this one to come to a compromise on what you're going to give, etc. And it is difficult, I appreciate that. And you may be at different stages. 
But ultimately, when you love the Lord, you can't help but give your time, your talents, and your resource. And you don't have to be afraid to give because you will never give anything to God that he won't multiply back to you. Because when you sow, you reap. And so God calls us to confront our self-centeredness and to trust him in an area that's very difficult for most people, that he might prove his faithfulness, his blessing, and his goodness in your life. This is the grace of giving, and God wants to outwork that into your life today. So let me just go back over those six key points before I finish. Number one, giving is to be planned. Number two, giving is personal. Each one of you should give what they're able to give. Number three, giving should not be limited by difficult circumstances. Or I'll get round to that tomorrow or whatever. Number four, giving is motivated by God. It's the grace of giving. Number five, giving should be joyful. Number six, giving should be generous. And number seven, giving is proof of our love for God. Amen. So summer Sundays were all taking things a little bit quicker. So that's the end of that. Just a couple of very practical things here, please. Um, you may or may not know on the, on the welcome table at the back, we have a finance pack. So if you want to know what happens to the finances in Jubilee, or if you want to speak to a trustee, so Adam and Ray are both trustees in the church at the moment. If you want to speak to them, then please feel free to do that. But please feel free to pick up one of those finance packs as well. If you're not giving or you want to know what that's giving's all about, I just want to pray over the church and then we're going to finish. We're not going to sing another song basically because we did say we're going to be shorter on these summer Sundays. So I wonder if you can just stand for a second, please. just be that today it's the first time you might have heard a message like that I don't know or maybe that you've heard it so many times before you you know the scriptures backwards and forwards I don't know but uh, we just want the Holy Spirit just to come and just speak to us and maybe he's speaking to you this morning about giving to the church maybe he's giving talking to you about maybe increasing your giving to the church or maybe he's speaking to you this morning about contentment I've learned what it is to be content, says Paul, in plenty and in need. And maybe contentment is what you need to have from God this morning. So, Father, I want to just pray over us, Lord God. I thank you so much for your faithfulness over so many years to this church, Lord God. Father, we've never lacked anything, Lord. And you've always pressed down into our laps, overflowing finances where we've never really expected them Lord God we can trust you in that we know Lord um, and many of us here can testify of the grace of giving upon our lives Lord God Father we thank you that we've sown as you've asked us to sow in, in different parts of this city and in Burton Lord God and we're now reaping a harvest Lord God so thank you so much for that so we commit ourselves to you again Lord God as your people Father we say please pray for us please pray um, Lord, as we pray to you, please speak to us about this matter in church life, Lord God, this sensitive matter. Father, we commit ourselves to you again in this matter, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 
listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.